You're listening to the Decidedly Podcast. Our guest today is Sarah Knight, known as the anti-guru for her profane approach to giving practical advice. If explicit language isn't for you, please feel free to skip this episode and instead just tune into tomorrow's highlight clip where we bleeped out all of the explicit content. If you're not offended by explicit language, hold on to your hat. There's plenty of it coming at you. That's all for now. Let's get into the episode. I'm Morgan, your producer, and this is Decidedly. All right, I have a question for you. What is something that you used to care about that you no longer care about? Oh, man, something I used to care. Yeah, something you just said, I don't really care about that anymore. I used to be embarrassed I didn't know like how to work on cars. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was really, like, a lot of my friends were really into building cars and fixing up their cars, and Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about it yeah. and I was embarrassed I didn't know anything about it and now it's kind of funny for me <laughs> now you don't care that you don't know I don't care that or I you don't, don't care know. that people know you don't know either one <laughs> I don't care I don't need to know how to do it I no. mean there's there's a few like you gotta know how to change a tire and sure you know, there's the some basic basics the I'm, I know enough that I get stuck on the side of the road but I'm not driving anything to where I'm going to get stuck on the side of the road. And the only option is for me to know how to change an alternator. Why, why do you not care about that anymore? Like, why do you not care that people? Well, because I don't. Well, people I, know you don't know about cars. Why do you not care that anymore? I don't care because I realize that I don't like it and I'm not going to do it. Okay. And so it would be silly of me to spend a bunch of time and energy and money trying to learn this thing that I don't even enjoy and isn't really like a necessary survival skill. And it's funny when people who have made that like such a, a big part, part of their personality, a big part of their personality and or like masculine identity. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there going, yeah, I'm totally secure in the fact that I don't know and don't care. <laughs> Why? Because there's a car shop at the end of my street, three bo- three houses down. Right. I, I can push it to the shop <laughs> if I need to. I really am never going to be in a lurch because I don't know how to work on cars. I always have the money to fix it. Yeah. I'm never going to, oh man, the mechanic said it's 500 bucks. What am I going to do? Right. And I don't know how to fix it. No, man. I just, here's my $500. Fix the car. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. And then I'm going to go do my, my things that I like. Mine was, I gradually stopped caring what other people thought. And I, I used to care a lot. It used to be super important to me. And I would so much so that I would, I would be inauthentic. I would do things I didn't want to do. I would try and please people that I probably shouldn't have been trying to please. And, and now I don't care what they thought about what, well, in, in such a way that I I don't modify my behavior other, other than, you know, just being normally polite. I don't modify my behavior to gain approval from other people. And, mm-hmm. and I got to that point eventually. What were the things that you were doing to modify your behavior? I would uh, I would say yes to things that I wouldn't normally say yes to. Uh, you know, go to events that I really didn't want to go to. Join clubs I would mm-hmm. you know say yes. You know, join clubs I didn't really want to join. You know, in in school or growing up, um, play sports I really didn't really want to play just so I could be with my friends. For example, yeah, yeah, and and I just now I I don't do those things, uh, and I'm happier with myself. I'm just like 
I, I'm not going to modify my behavior based on the opinions of, of those other people to try and please people. I, I, you know, maybe don't really that, care about that as much as that family, is a say. better way to live. And well, I found that it is, I mean, it took me a while to get there. <laughs> well, today's guest knows a lot about how to do that. Sarah Knight known as the anti guru for her profane approach to giving practical life advice. She graduated from Harvard worked for 15 years as a top book editor in New York city. In 2015, she left corporate publishing to go freelance, moved to the Caribbean and wrote The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, which is currently in development for film. With more than 3 million copies of her writing in print, Sarah's No Fucks Given guides have been published in 31 languages and appeared on bestseller lists all over the world. Her acclaimed series of genius, hilarious, and no-nonsense self-help books includes Runaway Hits, Calm the Fuck Down, and Get Your Shit Together. She also hosts the very popular No Fucks Given podcast. We talked with Sarah about holding consistent boundaries so people don't walk all over you, building habits for the want to's so they can come off your to-do list, shortening your to-do list into a must-do list, and how when you are a pleasure to deal with, it is much easier to bend people to your will. I had a great time. Sarah is uh, wonderfully articulate, funny, and she has some practically great tips stick around you'll learn something and maybe you'll stop giving a fuck about things you shouldn't i'm sanger smith as always i'm with my dad sean smith and this is decidedly sarah glad to have you hello thanks for having me Hey, Sarah. Hi there. So, what the fuck? <laughs> that, that's how you're starting. Yeah. That's an open-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> that is. You uh, you made our decision on whether or not we would have a censored podcast to be really easy. Okay. Well, that's good. We like easy decisions. Yeah. We were talking about, should we bleep this or should we and this not was, bleep it? Yeah. this is Well, this is before even the decision to have you on, someone who's intimately familiar with the word fuck. Uh, we, we kind of used that vulgar language a lot. And, you know, my grandma being our number one fan, um, I think half our total downloads come from her buying up a bunch of devices and then downloading repeatedly. Wow. Tech savvy grandma. I like it. Yeah. She's, she's pulling a a lot of the weight around here. (laughs) I was like, well, you know, I know she's not a huge fan, but screw it. We're going to do it anyway. And then, you know, we wouldn't be able to have the wonderful Sarah Knight on. Well, made that decision for what it's worth. I have done speaking engagements, radio appearances and things where I have had to self censor. And I will say that the audience is always enjoy it more when I just let loose. So I think that your <laughs> listeners are in yeah. for a fun episode. Yeah. Morgan, our producer was asking about that the other day. And I, I said, you know, if we bleep out Sarah, it, we're going to be bleeping every, uh, every third sentence. So I just think, let's just go with it. <laughs> so, speaking in Morse code. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Sarah, you're, you're in Dominican Republic. How did yes. you end up moving from, were you in New York before mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Well, it was sort of a series of Big life changes. I used to work as a senior editor at Simon & Schuster, one of the major New York publishers. And I decided that I wanted to leave that job and that career to work for myself. And when I decided that I was ready to become freelance, that meant that I was not tied to New York City anymore, which is sort of the beating heart of the publishing world in the United States. 
And my husband and I had always talked about maybe moving somewhere tropical, quote unquote, when we retired. And we thought, why should we wait? We don't have to wait. Uh, so around the same time I left my job, we were working on finding a place to live here in the Dominican Republic. And then I sold my first book. Surprisingly, not, that wasn't part of the plan wrote it. It came out in January of 2016 and we moved within a month. So uh, we've been here since then and it's kind of the beginning bookend of, of the next part of my of my career trajectory, which has been as a freelance writer in the tropics. Can't beat it. De deciding to be an author is kind of like being an entrepreneur, right? You're, you're out there on your own, making your own way. We were talking to Jason Pfeiffer editor of entrepreneur magazine he was he was kind of grappling with that himself like how am i writing about entrepreneurs when i'm not an entrepreneur oh wait i am an entrepreneur i'm a writer it's just different i don't run a business i run the business of my thoughts right indeed what was your journey like becoming an author well i was really uh lucky and well prepared because i had 15 years worth of a career as a book editor uh with with a number of major publishers in new york and i worked under some fantastic mentors and i had a really great list by the time i decided to leave but i what i wasn't great at was being told what to do <laughs> uh and having to sort of be diplomatic in meetings and work on my office personality versus my regular personality um it was just getting extremely tiresome and you know to the point of it was kind of hard to get out of bed in the morning and go to that job uh and it's not because i didn't love what i did i love working with writers and collaborating with them but i always was a writer myself and was you know had designs on publishing you know my own work someday um However, it is worth noting that I didn't leave my job with the intention of becoming a published writer. I left my job to relax and be a freelance editor and work for myself from, you know, the third coconut tree on the left. Uh, and then I got myself into this mess of having a good book idea and and writing it and publishing it. And now now we're on number six. Number six is coming. So out you left the job without a, without a plan, so to speak? Well, I left the job with a plan to freelance as a book editor. So actually it was, okay. it was quite, um, it was quite well planned out because I'm incapable of doing anything spur of the moment. I am super type A, you know, very meticulous and ambitious person. Um, so what I did was I made the decision to leave, don't tell my old boss, about a year before I did. And I actually oh, had, cool. <laughs> I actually had a, uh, a chart on my on my wall, on my kitchen wall that said, you know, that I colored in a day every day for 365 days leading up to the day that I was going to walk in and give my notice. Um, in terms of making a decision, I did consult all of the mitigating factors. And it was because my 401k wasn't going to vest until I had been at that job for five full years. So I figured, <laughs> what's what's one more year? Right? <laughs> what's one Vesting more year uh, if it sense. means that I'm going to get uh, to take it full advantage of the four prior years that I put into this particular company. So um, so I ended up leaving in May of 2015 after spending a year not only uh, financially preparing, but also just sort of emotionally preparing for leaving behind a career that I once thought defined me and that I thought I was going to become a publisher in my own right and have my own imprint and I was going to die behind that desk. And, you know, uh, among other things, uh, what that did, what that time frame did was give me a chance to get used to it psychologically, but also to build a freelance editorial website and, you know, figure out what I was going to charge and get my contacts all squared away so that the minute I gave notice at my job, I could 
start mining for for new business and new clients. Did you find that you already had sort of an authentic I don't give a fuck attitude and you said I'm going to write what I know or did you did you find that hey that's an effective attitude I see other people have I need to adopt this and and really explore that so was it was it sort of one path or the other It was actually a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B I think that you know as as mentioned I've always been this sort of driven ambitious person and I you know I'm an, an oldest child I'm the oldest daughter I was the high school valedictorian I went to an Ivy League school this was like sort of ingrained in me to give many many fucks about you know success and what other people thought of me and what other people thought of my success and and all of this and that was untenable that was one of the things that caused me to have to kind of rethink my whole life, my career, where I was going to live, what I was going to do for the next, you know, 40 years. And, um, and so was that imposed on you or was that something that you imposed on yourself? I mean, you don't become valedictorian on accident. <laughs> that was or, fully or self caring about things, yeah. self-motivated. That was not because my parents were demanding or because anybody expected anything. I, I have the highest bar for myself. Uh, and it was something that I really felt like I needed to I needed some enforced tranquility in my life, hence the move from New York City to a small fishing village on the north coast of the Dominican Republic. Um, but basically, I I got to the point of leaving behind that career and making these changes out of desperation. And I continued with it out of out of inspiration. I actually, I read Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which at the time, back in the summer of 2015, was a big bestseller. It's all about decluttering your physical space. And I thought, you know, everything I've been doing has really been about decluttering my mental space. I've been turning my back on what I once thought were obligations that were really choices that I could make, um, turning my back on guilt, turning my back on expectations for myself that were that were none other than, you know, things that I once thought I wanted and and needed to do, you know, when I was 15 or 21 or 30, um, that just simply, you know, don't have to exist if I change my mind. So when I wrote my book, which was intended, my first book, which was intended as a parody of hers called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, um, it was really with that in mind, this idea of paring away the things that don't matter, the things that don't, in her parlance, bring you joy, but I talk about the things that annoy you. You want to clear those out of your out of your mental barn and be able to sort of enjoy things in my life that I hadn't been fully enjoying because I had been too focused on stuff that didn't matter. Um, and I created this concept of, of the fuck budget uh, to spend your time, energy, and money only on things that serve you. Uh, and so the book kind of started out being like a a reaction to all of those fucks I had been giving my whole life. And it segued into, I'm kind of good at this, not giving a fuck thing. And now I'm going <laughs> to teach other people how to do it. There are a lot of people who are good at that, that don't end up having successful careers though. This is true. Are they good at not giving a fuck? Or oh, I know they... lots of people who are not good at giving a fuck. Well, but here, here's my complete disasters. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like a lot of the unsuccessful people who don't give a fuck, they all, it's almost that they want, you to think of them as someone who doesn't give oh, a fuck. Oh, they're off inauthentically. They're inauthentically saying I don't give a fuck. They really do. I don't they care do. what you think about me. <laughs> and I don't they care. Really I just don't give a fuck, man. Yeah. You're like, oh, but they okay. Do. You, they do. You really, you really seem to want me to know that about you. Yeah. 
I agree. And, you know, it's it's a very um, easy, easy hashtag, no fucks given, zero fucks given. But actually, my whole philosophy is about giving fewer, better fucks. So, you know, this isn't about I don't care. I'm burning it all to the ground. You know, I hate my job. I hate my life. Uh, you know, I'm I'm escaping all of it. It's what isn't going so well and what doesn't either bring me joy or what doesn't serve me? You know, there are things that you do have to do in life because they serve a, a purpose, even if you don't totally love doing them. But just getting rid of the stuff that is just abject, not necessary, you hate doing it, you, you never want to do it again. And being able to focus on the stuff you really do means that you are giving some fucks. You are spending those fuck bucks, that time, energy, and money on things that make you happy. And and the happier you are, the better employee you are, the better boss you are, the better spouse you are, the better child you are, um, the better parent you are. And so I really think that the people who who protest too much, um, maybe they haven't gotten around to the part where, where they are giving the right fucks. You know, it's not just mm, about. Sanger, Sanger and I went on a, uh, on a, on a big hike a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember this thing because I, because I ran across this guy later on after you left and there was a guy whose trail name. He, so we, we meet this guy and he's wearing a kilt. So right, right out of the gate, you know, he, he gets our attention and his trail name was no, no fucks given. You remember that? No, fu- it was just no, fucks. no fucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, this trail name was no fucks. Trail, on the, on the Pacific crest trail, everyone goes by a nickname. You don't have a real name. Yeah. You, you just get a trail. You name. get anointed by others. A, a trail name and that becomes your name as so long as you are on the trail. If you yeah. go back so, on the so, trail, do you have the same name? Yes. Yeah. So that you, you're bestowed this name based on, you know, what you're carrying or how you look or how you're acting or what you say. And so this guy's trail name was no fucks. I remember this. So I see him a couple weeks later on the trail. His legs are just completely gashed. It looked like he had gotten in a fight with a bobcat. And he's just scratched and bleeding. I was like, how's that no fucks going for you there? Uh, yeah. Because, you know, like you're wearing the kilt because you know, that was his thing. And I was like, man, you should really get some pants. He goes, no, no fucks doesn't care. You know, it's like, all right. Uh, I hope that's working care, out man. for you. I hope that's working out for you. So the, the reason I bring that up is how do you determine what you want to give a fuck about? How do you decide what's what's worthy of your attention? Your, your your time and energy versus the things that rightly should be discarded and, and cast aside. Well, you know, it's it's actually pretty darn simple, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, you sit down and you force yourself to think about it. And, you know, one of the exercises that I take you through in the book has to do with making a list. It's, you know, things is the first list and work is the second list and then friends, acquaintances and strangers and then family is last because family is the hardest thing to stop giving a fuck about for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, and you sit down and you just write out, you know, all of the all of the demands, all the things that are being asked of you, whether you want to do them or don't want to do them, just write them all down. And and then look at them, confront them and say, you know, how does this make me feel? Like, how do I enjoy going to my nephew's soccer games or do I not? You know, do I want to go out to happy hour with my coworkers more than once a month or do I not? You know, do I want to do karaoke or do I not? Um, and, and really just force yourself for three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds to contemplate it and think about how it makes you feel. And if it doesn't make you feel good, then it should probably go on your no fucks list. And like I said, you know, there are aspects of our time, energy, or money 
that we have to spend on things because they serve us. You know, you might not love getting up and going to your job every day, but if you don't go to your job, you're not going to get paid. And if you don't get paid, you can't pay your rent. Or if you don't get paid, you can't buy a new car. If you don't get paid, you can't go out to dinner. And so that is a fuck that you need to work into your budget. But what I always say is, you know, a fuck not given is something gained. If you cross something off of your list, that means you have more time, energy, or money to devote to something that really floats your boat. Yeah, we have a, a limited amount of attention and care that we can give. And if we're giving that to things that don't matter, don't serve us, then we're, we're missing out on really good opportunities. It's amazing how you say it's so easy to just write these things down. I find that in my line of work, helping people make good money decisions, there's, there's a lot of um, seemingly big problems. Like, How do I determine what really matters to me with my money? Well, you, you start with writing that down. Start with writing down the things that you want your money to do with you. And that is the easiest, most impactful step you can make. It's, it, it's, and that's almost every area of self-discovery and self-awareness is, oh, start out, write, write it down. You haven't written it down yet. You haven't taken five minutes to just be alone with the, your thoughts on this subject. You know, I, I think that what I do has obviously been very helpful for people all over the world and it's giving them new perspective or a new way of looking at personal development that they didn't have before. Maybe they just like the F word. Um, but you, I, I was shocked at how many people just weren't taking the initial step of, you know, interrogate yourself, be honest with yourself about the answers and write them down. It's just, it's like, it's like to me, that's just making decisions 101. Um, so, you know, I think that it's uh, it's it just helps people see why where they're spreading out. You know, for you, it's budgeting with your actual money. For for other people, it could be with their time and energy, and where it's going, and how it makes them feel to think that they've sent it there, um, and that usually gives people a sense of you know, like I said, a sense of inspiration, um, and it makes it a little bit easier to make decisions. And then the next part is, you know, acting on those decisions. Yeah. And our time and energy ideally should follow where our money is going. Uh, as long as that we've done the exercise on, on both those categories of resources and, and aligned them with what we want, right? The yeah. things that are worthy of your time and energy are, are probably worth your money. The things that are worth your money, probably worth your time and energy. I, I deal with this a lot with people who are saying, oh, well, should I spend on this? Should I spend on that? And these will be people that have millions of dollars it's not it's not people who are focused on hey, I just these aren't budgetary get, questions these aren't right. budget these aren't can i afford it it's they're asking me should i spend my money on this well it depends it depends on if it's important to you is i don't know is, your life you know i'm not going to tell you avocado toast is you know from the devil it's just you know is eating healthy really important to you and if it is, then spending some extra money or, or even a dispropor disproportionate amount of your money on eating healthy is is not wrong. Um, I want to go back, though. You say the, the most important thing you can do to determine where to give your time and energy, where to give your fucks is what is serving you and what is making you happy is how do you balance that with things that... Um, Maybe the outcome makes me happy, but step one that I've got to make today, step two that I've got to make today along the journey to achieve this outcome are not things that serve me, right? So I'll go back to the the nephew's football game. Well, maybe I don't want to go to my nephew's football game, but I want to have an impactful presence in my nephew's life, particularly while he's young. 
Well, going to the football game is probably part of that. Um, so this brings us to uh, another book I wrote called Fuck No, How to Stop Saying Yes When You Can't, You Shouldn't, or You Just Don't Want To. And in that book, I detail a few different ways to not only after you've made your decision, but to uh, to enact your decision. And one of them is called the no and switch. And so the fact is, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do that doesn't make you happy. Um, but you can offer an alternative that mm. you do want to do and that would make you happy or that is more convenient for you. So if the idea is just that you want to be an impactful presence in your nephew's life or you want to support your sibling whose child is, you know, playing football on the weekends, but you don't want to go to, you know, 11-year-old children football games, then you can suggest an alternative for a way to spend time with your nephew or a way to indicate how much you support him. Um, you know, you can record a little video of yourself before the game and and text it over and be like, hey, rooting for you, buddy. Um, there's lots of ways that you can say no, but then, but then offer something that is actually fine for you and that you're willing to do and that you're happy to spend your time, energy, and or money on. And then the ball is in the other the other person's court. You know, if your if your sister says, if you if you say, hey, like I can't come to the game this weekend, but I'd love to take Tommy to the mall. I don't know what kids do. I don't have kids. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> next Wednesday after school. Um, I don't think they go to the mall anymore. Whatever they do, skateboarding. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I love to take him to the mall or whatever. Uh, insert things that people actually do with kids and your and then your sister can say yeah that would be awesome thanks so much or you know that's yeah. not convenient for us because he's got saxophone lessons on wednesdays what else what else he got um and the point is that you have you know you've created a boundary and you've enforced it you do not want to spend your sunday mornings at a child's football game but you've offered something else that could be a good fit for both parties and the idea is always to get to a point where it's a good fit for both parties, right? It's a negotiation. Yeah. And in the end, you know, you want to feel like you've walked away from the negotiating table and gotten what you wanted and not gotten what you didn't want. And so does the other person. So a compromise doesn't have to mean you just saying yes because you feel obligated uh, to, you know, be at your nephew's football game. Yeah. My grandma is really, really admirably good at this. That's exactly what really I was, what I was just going to say that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's so good. I tell her all the time, like, how do you, you, I, she has never said yes to anything as in my that life she that she do. didn't want to do. And she's never will make you feel bad about it. And it, it's, in, it's, it's, that's the fear I think that a lot of people have who, who struggle with saying no, it's like, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want you to be mad at me. I don't want to inconvenience you, right. she will straight up say, hey, you want to go to dinner tonight? Hey, Matt, you want to go to dinner tonight? That is not something that I would enjoy. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she'll, just, she'll just straight up. I was, I was working says, with, that doesn't there, there was an employee I was, I was talking with the other day and, and she was trying to get out of something. And she's like, well, I could tell him this and I could tell him that. And she was making up these things. I that could just, lie to them. I could, I could lie. Excuse right. it. I could yeah. just make up this excuse. And I said, why don't you just tell them that's not something you're willing to do? She goes, oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, d Radical. I don't want to is a perfectly fine yeah. answer, but my whole, and people are surprised by this because they can't, some of them can't get past the, the curse words, but my whole sort of philosophy is honesty and politeness 
in tandem. You know, you be as honest as you can without hurting someone's feelings. You don't say, you know, your friend invites you to her birthday dinner and you don't say, I don't want to go because I hate your new boyfriend and I don't want to get stuck talking to him for two hours. That's too honest. Um, But you could give a no and switch. I can't make it that night. I'd love to take you out for a drink one-on-one. Throw me some dates. Um, And, you know, and polite is to respond right away. Polite is not leaving your friends hanging or leaving your family hanging and hemming and hawing because you really don't want to do something and you just don't – you're not sure how to tell them yet. Like, that's not polite. You know, if somebody's planning a party, they need to know their headcount. They need to know their budget. You say yes, you say no, whatever the case, do it in a reasonable time frame. Um, So if you can take honesty and politeness – and and you can say, I mean, there's something to be said for tone of voice. You know, you don't have to say, ugh, the last thing I want to do is go to an 11-year-old's no, football game. Party. Yeah. You can say, no. yeah, that's not really for me. Or as you, might, as you might have guessed, that's not really for me, you know, depending on how well the person knows you who's making the request. And just kind of laugh it off and, and, like I said, suggest something else. There's also, for people who, who experience FOMO, fear of missing out, there's what I call the no for now, uh, which is, you know, say you can't afford to do something, but you don't want your friends to stop inviting you to join them at the guest house on Martha's Vineyard for a week over 4th of July, uh, but but you can't afford it. You can be honest with them. You can say, I really can't afford that this summer. You either can't afford the time off. I can't afford the Airbnb share, um, but I'm just, I'm dying that you guys are going to be there without me. It's going to be so much fun. Please ask me again you know, and I will make a point to try to make it work. So you're saying no for now, but you're letting people know why. You know, there's no point in lying because then either you're getting caught in a lie or they're going to keep inviting you to things you can't afford or say you're somebody who has crippling social anxiety and the answer to not going to a party that's a barbecue full of people you don't know is always going to be the same because you are always going to have crippling anxiety. (laughs) If you're just honest with the friend who invited you on the front end, then you never have to have this sort of kabuki theater of asking and giving excuses. And sometimes it takes a while for, for friends or family or whomever to kind of understand, oh, that's your boundary. Oh, Sarah's never going to do that. Yeah, I'm never going to go to pub trivia in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Just not going to do it. For me, it's I'm never going to Hooters. Yeah. I'm not going to the Hooters or the Twin Peaks. The guys in my gym, they like, they always want to go out on Thursdays. About once a month, somebody gets sick of where we normally go to eat and they go, let's go to Twin Peaks. I go, y'all have fun. Yeah. Oh, come on. I, dude, I'm never going there. I mean, this is for me with shots. I don't, I don't take shots of alcohol anymore. I did plenty of shots (laughs) in my twenties and I got, it got to a point where I had a friend who was always pushing them on me. And finally, well, my first trick with him was I said, okay, I'll do it if you buy me the Patron. And he was like, well, I don't want to spend $12 on a shot. And I was like, well, then I guess I'm not doing it. But, you know, ultimately just got to the point where it's like, I don't do that. And, you know, People, people can take it or leave it. And this is another thing that I explore in the book, Fuck No, which is this idea of you know, guilt and obligation. And I don't want to say no because I'm worried that I, I'm supposed to do this, I should do this, um, or I'm worried that I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings and they're going to make me feel guilty. It's like all of this is happening in your own head before you've even given somebody a chance to respond to your no. And the fact is, Anytime we ask somebody if they want to join us in something or do something and we say no, I know that my, you know, go-to just reaction is like, oh, I wish you could or, oh, like, is there any way I can change your mind? That's just what humans do. You know, I try Mm -hmm. to be cognizant of that and try not to pressure people 
and make them feel guilty. But it's just like, it's what happens. Like, this is how conversation works. And so you have to be prepared to just be like, yeah, I wish I could too, but I can't. And that usually ends it, you know, or say, yeah, I really can't, but how about we do something else? And like, you just have to be ready to engage in that back and forth and not make it seem like the guilt is, you know, is blanketing you and, and that you suddenly have to change your mind. It's just how people work. If somebody wants to really make you feel guilty and really twist the knife, you can just look at them and say, you know, I think that your inability to take no for an answer says more about you than it does about me. Ooh, good day. Ooh. I'm gonna keep that. I'm That's gonna keep that one. one in my hip pocket. I think it's a really important for leaders to empower their team to say no. You know, I Morgan, our producer, she, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she had a problem saying no. And she mentioned it to me like, hi, I need to get better at saying no. I need to get better at saying no. I said, well, now I am 100% on board with this because that means you're not going to say no to me. (laughs) If I ask you to do a new project, you're not going to say no. And then you're going to be completely overworked and you're going to be, you know, maybe you're mad at me (laughs) for being the one Uh to present it to you. Maybe you're, you're exhausted. You're not getting your best work on the other more important projects. I have to have you be able to say no. And so I got her book delivered or your book delivered to her house like the next day <laughs> that, this is showing up fuck no read that required reading and she's getting better at it you know it's still hard it's still difficult it definitely takes practice but the more you do yeah. it the easier it gets and then you're sort of like why wasn't i doing this it, 20 it years does. ago it, because the that that quality of just sort of always saying yes as an employee is really attractive to an employer and, yeah. and yet there's a downside to it, obviously, is that the person's going to take on too much. They're not going to get, they're not going to know how to prioritize. Perhaps they're going to fail in some of those works and it's going to be a problem. So I, I've had to work with employees on learning how to say no yeah. as well. Or they're going to get so burnt out that they leave. Yeah. They're just going to bail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, there's a They'll story that, one day. that I tell in Fuck No, which I actually think is really helpful, particularly for younger, younger employees, which is, you know, I was working, this was in my my last job before I left. So I was already very senior. Uh, I was working for a boss I really liked, but he, you know, he didn't have, um, you know, a, a sort of big social life and family life and his, he was really married to the job. And so he was kind of, it was, it felt difficult to not go to all the things that one was invited to and, you know, and say yes to all of the extra projects and things like that, because he was setting such a a model for working 22 hours a day and constantly being responsive to emails and all of this stuff. Um, But he asked me, and it was real honor, uh, he asked me if I would be the editor among the dozen or so editors at our imprint to accompany him to the London Book Fair, which happens once a year. And it's really, it's quite a privilege to be asked to go because publishers aren't bringing their whole staff. I happened to have two authors at the time who were really big in England. And so it'd be an opportunity to wine and dine them and, you know, meet with their agents and also just kind of, it was, it was a very, it was a prestigious offer and I really appreciated that he made it. But what he didn't know is I'm a terrible flyer. I'm a real bad traveler. It takes me a long time to get over having had to go somewhere, it makes my my already extant anxiety 10 times worse. Um, and I definitely don't want to travel like that for work. I don't want to cross <laughs> the Atlantic to have meetings all day, mm-hmm. every day for a week. Um, 
And I just, it was like kind of that moment of desperation when I left my job. It was this moment of desperation of like imagining what a nightmare it was going to be for me to not only get through the, the flying and the travel and all of that and the and the jet lag and whatever, but then have to sort of be on in front of my boss and in front of all of these international colleagues. Um, and I was just like, there's no way I can say yes to this. I can't. I cannot say yes. And so I, I waited a day or two and he said, hey, you know, if you if you don't want to go for some reason, you know, somebody else will want to. So I'd love for you to let me know. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, I really don't. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm honored that you would ask me. I just, I really don't want to go and here's why. And I just told him a version of exactly what I told you. And he looked at me and he said, God, he's like, sometimes I wish I could say no to these things, but I'm the big boss. Like I have to go. And he's like, absolutely. If you don't want to do this, nobody is forcing you. This is not, this is, you know, not part of what you get paid for. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I just walked away like, wow, that was so much easier than I had built it up in my head to be. Um, and I think that that's what people who have a hard time saying no, particularly in authority, you know, no to authority, no in a work situation, they don't understand that the delivery is is a lot of it. You know, the understanding who you're talking to and what what they'll respect about how and why you give your answer. And a lot of times you can say, you know, I don't think I can take on this project because I think it will take away from my ability to do something else that you know you're supervisor yeah, thinks is that's very critical, important. Right? Um, and really just saying it up front the same way that you tell your friends, I can't afford that Martha's Vineyard share this summer, but I really want you to keep asking me. You can say to your boss, I really appreciate you trusting me with this. I'm afraid I won't be able to do a good job on both. Which would you prefer? You know, speaking of a no and switch, would you like me to hand off my duties on this one thing and take on this big new project or would you like me to stay on this and I'll cede this opportunity to someone else and please come back to me in the future? Um, there's just a lot you can do with your reason for saying no and how you present it and what you, you know, what you tell people to expect from you that they can't expect from you and what they can't. How do you balance true prioritization versus dealing with anxiety? You know, and, and in your example, it may have been, I'm not saying it was, but what if that was just an anxiety about travel and it, and it really wasn't something that was a prioritization of these other things? How do you balance out those things to know if it's truly what you should be caring about versus not? So that's kind of dipping the, the toe into the mental health waters, which I'm a big proponent of just kind of shouting about, you know, all of the things that are going on in all of our heads and how we deal with them. Um, for me, it's absolutely travel anxiety and something that, you know, I know takes a lot of mental energy and sort of psychological capacity to recover from. And I wasn't going to be able to be my best self uh, on an international work, work trip. So I had to say, like, all I'm going to do is be miserable and kind of not great at what my boss wants and needs yeah. from me on this trip. So it is better to expose my fear of flying and difficulty in traveling and in a, and and to say, I don't think I'm up to this, um, than it would be to pretend like I was up to it and then fail spectacularly. Um, so, you know, there's, there's other things that like I, it, you know, ha had it been um, life-changing or career-making, I probably would have done it. But – it wasn't. And I knew it wasn't. It was just the London Book Fair. It's publishing. You know, I, I always would say like, 
nobody's going to die on the table if Sarah Knight doesn't go to the London Book Fair. You know, this is this is not like you can show up as needed and not show up and and it's going to be okay. And so I would say that, you know, I didn't have to in that moment prioritize, for example, keeping my job versus dealing with my travel anxiety. Like I knew I wasn't going to lose my job. I just thought I might disappoint my boss and that might be some sort of invisible demerit to me for the future. But then, you know, then I told him and it wasn't and everything was totally fine. Um, and, you know, the other thing I would say is I, I talk about prioritizing a lot in my books, prioritizing what you spend your time, energy, and money on, prioritizing um, your your tasks so that you can accomplish your goals, you know, as, as, as stated and on time. Um, and I prioritize by urgency. I find that's the, the easiest, quickest way to cut through the noise. Uh, you know, what needs to be done today? Um, and if you, you know, turn your, your big to-do list into a much shorter must-do list, then you can focus on the, the far fewer things that actually must get done. And what that does is gives you the time and space to focus better on fewer things. But it also takes all that noise out of your head of what I should do and what's it, what about the who asked me, are they more important? And what about, well, that would be easier and maybe I should just do it. No, do what has to be done today. Um, How do you keep from just being in a constant state of fighting fires if you're doing well, that? Well, that's exactly how you do it is, is you take that big, unwieldy, overwhelming to-do list and whittle it down into only the things that must be done today and put the rest off for tomorrow. And that is responsible procrastination and everybody loves to procrastinate. So it's a very popular tip from my second book, <laughs> Get Your Shit Together. <laughs> yeah, if you can, if you're telling me it's okay to wait till tomorrow, I'm listening um, when you have, when you have a, you know, that makes sense to me, right? You've got a, you got a bunch of stuff. You got 15 things you got to get done. Five of them have to happen today. So you might as well start there. What would still be tempting for me is to keep postponing that 10 that don't have to get done until they have to get done. But some of them will have to get done tomorrow. They'll be on your must do list. What for about tomorrow? the things that never have to get done? Like, then maybe they shouldn't be on your list. <laughs> well, okay. So like you didn't have to write a book. True. I did not. I absolutely did not. That wasn't on my to-do list. Just sort of happened. Yes. You know, I have to like, <laughs> I have to, if it, for me to write a book, I got to have someone making me do that. Well, that's no I fun. A deadline. I got to have a deadline. Yeah. I got to have something. I got to have like some sort of consequence. Well, but so you're like, saying that it's a want to do thing, not a have to do. Something I want to do. Yeah. Right. Well, then you like, put it on your list. And, you know, this is another thing that the, the way to accomplish your goals is not by trying to do, it's not by trying to sit down and write a book in a day. It's a series of small manageable chunks, you know, just like moving to the Dominican Republic. It was like, well, we had to sell our apartment in New York and we had to find where we were going to live down here. And we had to learn how to speak Spanish and we had to get residency and we had to buy a car. Learn how to and speak Spanish? I, I can speak Spanish passably enough to live here now. Yes. Uh, did, did you get to that point before you moved? Nope. I did it all by just immersion. Uh, yeah, my husband okay. chose a different path. He found YouTube videos and did a Spanish lesson once a week and listened to Spanish podcasts and, you know, really made a study of conjugating and stuff. And I just kind of learned by by living here. But it wasn't like, you know, this big sort of unwieldy, uh, you know, overwhelming goal of like leaving the country and setting up shop somewhere. It was like we did little things, you know. 
we did a little bit at a time in in service to the big goal. So with writing, you know, a lot of people people are very different. It really depends on what who you are, what kind of book you're trying to write, how much experience you have. For yeah. me, it's butt in the seat, 500 words a day. If I can do more, great. If I can't, that probably means I need a day off. Um, but just, you know, do it. Like, and if I want to write a 50,000 word book and I divide it by the number of days and I give myself, you know, one or two days a week off and I look at the calendar and I'm like, I can do this in X number of months and that's how I do it. Um, that's not, that doesn't work for everybody because creativity can't always be pounded out in 500 word chunks, but I am writing personal development books. <laughs> if I can't do it, then, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then people probably shouldn't listen to me. Yeah. It, it's, uh, for me, I, I do it. I can like ball up all my creativity on like one day a week. Yeah. And that's and then, totally, and that's I totally get fair. It done, get eight hours of creativity and I'm like, Oh geez, I need a break from that. Back to the analytical brain. Yeah. I mean, and like for me, I'm trying to do my taxes right now and that makes me want to walk into the sea. So I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, creative brain and analytical brain don't always coexist in the same people in the same way. Um, so but you make it is on my must do list. I have to do you, it. So. You make the want to list a, a habit instead of a task. Exactly. Uh, I, I think that a ha habits are a perfect way to put it because once you do something enough, repetition is key, then it just becomes a thing you do. And, you know, for me, when I've been writing these books. I'm on my sixth one is coming out in April of this year. I've done three accompanying journals. I've done like a special holiday book last year. Like I've had a lot of writing projects on my desk in front of me for the last seven years. And the habit is sitting down in front of my laptop and doing the thing. You know, I don't consider it even really part of my to-do list. It's just like, this is what I do. I get up, I drink coffee, I feed the cats, you know, I do my social media and then I open up my laptop and go for it. Mm. So that's interesting so th because there are a lot of things that are important to do that aren't urgent. Right. And, mm -hmm. and if I don't do them, I'm not going to have the results I want. You know, so let's say building a business plan or, you know, doing performance review for staff or you know, whatever, those things aren't urgent, but I've got to do those. So I, I think what I hear you saying is put those into, put them on the list and build them into the structure and the habits so that it's, so you don't have to make a decision on those. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The idea for me, the reason that I prioritize by urgency is that it's too easy to prioritize by what I feel like doing. And a lot of times what you feel like doing on your list is not really the thing that needs to be done today. And it's taking away from the time you have to get the actual urgent stuff done. So then you're late on the stuff that really had a deadline mm -hmm. because you decided to do what you felt like or you decided mm -hmm. to do the easy thing. And that's something that I would get so caught up in in my younger working days that I would stay at my stupid publishing job until nine o'clock at night, which is ridiculous. You're not getting paid for that um, because I would be doing like 20 easy things and then get started on the big thing that was going to take me three hours. And that was just because I felt like, well, if I can do, if it's easy, I can knock it off my list and then I'll have it done. But like, that's, to me, that's unsustainable. I started knocking of, things off my list that weren't even on the list. And then you put them on after so you can cross them off. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> nothing wrong with uh, that. I'll sit there. Yeah. I'll sit there at nine o'clock and go, look at all this stuff I did. 
this morning I didn't know that I was gonna re you know edit some old PowerPoint from you know whatever the hell <laughs> clean out the closet or yeah something. whatever yeah. the hell I was doing and that but it, oh, I'm so productive you did a bunch of crap that didn't you didn't even need to do. Yeah. And I also really believe in putting things on your must do list that involve, you know, your mental health and self care. Like, for example, I need, I need to get my roots done. The gray is coming in and I don't have to do that. It's not urgent. It doesn't have to be done today. But if I'm going to make these TikTok videos for my publisher next week and, you know, and I want to feel good about that, then I got to get my hair done sometime before I do the TikTok videos. And so it does become there's an urgency to it, but really it's just, you know, I want to go to the salon and I want to feel, you know, I want to feel salon fresh. And it's okay <laughs> to make that a thing yeah. that has to get done. You know, a lot of people don't schedule in their their me time and their downtime. And I just think that's a huge mistake. I think you'll there's so many people out there who will never do it if they don't put it in the schedule. Um put it and on maybe, my schedule. Maybe that feels antithetical to the idea mm-hmm. of downtime or the idea of a hobby, but show me the person who gets all of their downtime in and makes room for all their hobbies without putting it in their calendar, and saw. I'll show you a unicorn. <laughs> I saw a leader once get mad at an employee for putting personal things on his work calendar. Really? <laughs> It's like, the trick it's is all one, it's all one calendar, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's, we have one day and, and this guy, it's not like he put, you know, uh, get my haircut at 10 AM. Like it wasn't a personal thing during the work day. He wasn't mad that he was doing something personal during the work day. Okay. He was mad that his, you know, seven 30 dinner with friends was on the work calendar. Well, that's ridiculous. So that is ridiculous, what? but you can <laughs> get around that. For example, if you need to keep your, your supervisor happy and you can't and and there's there's no way to tell them that they're being ridiculous without losing your job you develop code words so mm. you can code your calendar or you just put those i used to do in the last couple of years of my job i would just mark sections of my day busy um just so that people couldn't invite me to meetings mm-hmm. like yeah because pe- they'll stop trying. You know, meetings are useless. They're a huge waste of everybody's time, I believe. could all happen in an email. And, you know, there were just ones that I was like, I'm not going to that. And if it, if I make it really hard for you to schedule around me, you'll just schedule around me and I'll just get the notes <laughs> from somebody else. I, yeah, I, I do that too. I put things on my calendar oh. and block them out and I'll have people try and violate it because they know it's what you know, it's, they know it's what you just said. They know no. it was like one of these like, well, then you need new blockouts. Tricks. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, I, you know, I didn't think you had anything, but, you know, I'm like, no, we can't, we can't do that. Yeah, can't do yeah. it. Yeah. And you is have busy. to say no. Yeah. You have to say no. Uh, uh, the first time you just violate it, then it's, it's never any good. Yeah, so yeah. I, have a, I have a question for you. So it is easy for me to really embrace this, this attitude, sort of not, not giving a fuck, right? Because of where I am in life, uh, where I am in my career, where I am financially, it's it's pretty easy, and I, I get accused. Where are you? What does that mean? Well, I'm I'm near the I'm not at the beginning of my career. Okay, I don't have to climb the corporate ladder. I don't have a boss I'm trying to please. Um, financially, I'm fine, and so it's it's really easy for me. And I get accused by my wife of sort of embracing that. <laughs> I don't give a fuck too much. Um, people do say it about you. People do, yeah. And sometimes they'll say it to me, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, Sarah, how do you respond to people that say, okay, well, you know, maybe it's easy for you to take that attitude, 
but I'm not in that position. I have a family to please or a boss to please. I'm, tr- I'm still trying to work up the corporate ladder. Uh, I can't really embrace this the way that you're suggesting that I do. Do people say that to you? They do. I get a lot of responses through my DMs and and uh, and after my podcast with people saying, well, it's easy for you to say, I can't do it. And what I say to them is, I wish I had started doing it 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. The fact is that developing this uh, way of managing your own boundaries and knowing what you want and budgeting the time, energy, and money you have to spend going after what you want is what is going to get you faster to a point where you don't have to care so much. Um, you know, these are all really positive ways of of being and of taking on responsibility and of not overcommitting and of setting people's expectations so they know what they can expect from you, setting expectations for yourself that are all going to make you a better employee, um, a more present friend, you know, more present partner. Uh, it's it's it might seem counterintuitive to people, but really, if they do focus on all of the the practical ways that I explain how to do all of this stuff in in my books, they're going to find that their lives are better for it. Um, it's oh, actually I a hundred percent agree with that. I spent a good part of my early career uh, doing things that I wish I had not done. Uh, you know, taking on clients I, I shouldn't have taken on, working weekends or evenings when I shouldn't have been doing that. And I, I think I would have been better had I adopted the the attitude that I have now is that here is how yeah. I'm prioritizing. I learned things. from, I mean, I learned from his mistake because he would tell me, oh man, I wish I didn't do it this way. I wish yeah. I didn't do that. And I remember when for a long time, every twice a week, he would drive, you know, an hour and a half to these different mm-hmm. offices and he'd spend all damn day at this office that is an hour and a half away from home. So he's not getting home till 10 o'clock at night. You know, he's, yeah. he's working 14 hour days on the, a complete other side of town away from his family. And he's like, oh, I wish I wouldn't, I didn't do that. I go, oh yeah. Oh, I wish well, I hadn't. I'm glad you told me that now. And I stopped doing it. And yeah, it is hard to say no, especially when there's like a direct benefit to saying yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like somebody will pay me <laughs> to, right. to, to go say yes. I'll get money for doing this. It's really hard to say no. But you but picked I, a boundary. You drew I a boundary. I picked that boundary because you you recommended it and it paid off so well. And what's what's amazing is everybody else, for the most part, started to fit within my boundary that I had set. Yes. People that you otherwise can train couldn't. people. This is yes. the best part. They will they will mm-hmm. fall in line after a time. Uh, and you know, that's that's what I was saying really about, you know, you have to practice and you do it once and it's kind of easier than you thought, and then you do it again, and then people start to expect from you or not expect things that you won't give them. But also the more energy and time that you're conserving by, say, not doing a three-hour round-trip commute two days a week, um, you can put toward figuring out alternate solutions for that. Um, there's there's something to be said for not just blindly saying yes to things, but actually taking the time to think, how could I get this thing done for whomever is asking it of me in a different way? Um, and, you know, that's there's, – there's this – feeling that you have to say yes to in in your job to your sort of superior. But I would bet you that nine times out of 10, 
the person above you is going to respect you more for coming up with a better solution um, that yes. suits everybody that doesn't involve three meaningless commuting hours twice a week um, or anything else of the sort. And with, you know, now that we're we're in the the zone that we are now in terms of technology, there's so many ways to get things done where you don't have to be physically present. And the other thing I would say is good things come to those who delegate. And it is very difficult for somebody like me who is a control freak and who has long taken the attitude that if you want something done right, just give it to me and I'll do it. Um, it has been difficult to delegate things and to say it is more worth it for me not to have to do this thing than it is for me to worry about how well it's going to get done by somebody else. And eventually you surround yourself with people that you trust, whether those are your friends, you're in your you know private life or in your professional life. And again, you practice. I kind of feel like a drug dealer. I'm like, just try it. Just try it once. You're going to love it. Um, <laughs> but if you can learn to delegate those tasks to people who are willing to do them, um, then your life will be will be better for it. I think a lot of people really want a risk-free approach to life. You know, I, I get Sorry. that in, in many decisions <laughs> all the time. And people want a risk. Well, well is this, this is risk-free? No, nothing's risk-free, man. No, There's nothing, nothing you can do with your money, with your time, with your life at all ever that has no risk. Everything has risk. The risk of not doing what you are preaching is you're, you're going to say yes to crap that you shouldn't be doing. You're going to care about things that you shouldn't really care about that you don't care about, but you're going to put time and energy into them. That's the risk. And you're already living the consequence. Yeah. And it's the risk of doing something different. And if you want to talk, you know, outside of a professional realm with family, um, you know, do you really want to be in these sort of mutually resentful relationships with people you theoretically love uh, because you're constantly doing things with and for one another that you don't want to do. You know, when you could have the time that you do spend together that you, that both of you want to spend together be great fun. You know, there's just, there's no reason that we have to put ourselves into these situations where we're just constantly mad at people for demanding too much of us. Just set your boundary, enforce it, and then the time that you do both want to spend together, whether it's at your 11-year-old nephew's football game or on a family vacation or something, can be good instead of full of seething resentment. There's just well, and I, just doing and I it yourself. Once you set those, yeah, once you set those boundaries, the people that had been violating the most are those that are going to not appreciate you setting a boundary. But they will eventually respect that boundary once it's clear. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've been with my husband for 23 years and my in-laws now know exactly who they're dealing with. Uh, and over time, we've developed a perfectly copacetic way of doing things and not doing them, saying yes, saying no, doing things partially, you know, leaving early, that kind of thing. And it's fine. Like once they learned who I was, they stopped kind of pushing against it and we just were able to have a nice time when we're together. And when we're apart, I'm having a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> so what's this next book? Uh, the next book is called Grow the Fuck Up, How to Be an Adult 
and kids. <laughs> <laughs> and get treated like one. Uh, I actually did want to write a book for young people because I hear so much from people, you know, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 20-year-olds uh, who say, you know, I got your book, Calm the Fuck Down, and it changed my outlook on my anxiety, or I read your book, You Do You, and it gave me so much confidence. And I thought, you know, my publishers think that young people aren't reading the books because of the swears or that they're not allowed to buy them or something. But I think of what I was reading when I was 13, and it was definitely not being censored. So I, I started out wanting to write it for young people and then just kind of realized as I was as I was crafting the book that we all need some help in being yeah. adults. Um, and that it doesn't really matter, you know, all of the advice I give across all of what I call the no fucks given guides is meant to be widely applicable. Um, you know, whether whatever socioeconomic situation you're in, whatever age you are, wherever you live in the world. If I'm doing my job properly, then I'm giving advice that anybody should be able to take. So uh, I ended up making it a much more kind of general interest uh, book. And the thing that really that seems to be attractive to people with whom I've been talking about it in these months leading up to publication is that second part of the subtitle and getting treated like one. Because nobody's that excited about, oh, I have to be more mature and responsible and accountable, but what's it going to mm -hmm. get you? And so yeah. that is a huge part of Grow the Fuck Up. It's explaining, you know, when you're a pleasure to deal with, <laughs> um, it is much easier to bend people to your will. You know, like there's there are yeah. there are reasons to take on added layers of responsibility and to be the mature voice of reason in a conversation and to learn how to say, I'm sorry, even if you're not just say it. Um, it's going to, you know, open a lot more doors for you than, than it closes. So I'm really excited about that's coming out in April, just in time for graduation season. Perfect. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, it's amazing how when you start to take responsibility in life, you get treated with respect. Yeah. When you, when you have yeah. no responsibility, you don't get treated with respect and that's no fun. You don't get treated like an adult. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you and your work and your other books? They can find me at sarahnight.com. Sarah with an H, K-N-I-G-H-T.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Sarah, thank, thanks so much. Go and uh, go and enjoy the beach today. <laughs> I'll be having a cocktail. It's, it's six o'clock here. So. Yeah. My takeaway from our discussion with Sarah was about deciding to determine what your boundaries are ahead of time. In other words, sit down right now, figure out what are your boundaries and then make those decisions to hold the line on those boundaries because people will violate what they don't know exists. They may try and push on it once they know it exists, but once they realize it's firm, they're going to respect it. My takeaway is building habits for the want to's on your list so they can come off the to do list. The to do list is a list of tasks and chores and if you want to get something down, build it into uh, your routine, like writing a book or going to the gym. Uh, shouldn't be a have to. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedlypodcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly.
Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.